Evening, everyone. It was a nice day out there today, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, it's good to be the people of God. It's good to take time together to set our hearts and minds on Him. So why don't we just take a moment to pray and commit this time to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We just thank you for the fact that you've rescued us and brought us into your family. And so we just want to give you thanks and praise for that. Lord, we want to hear from you this afternoon in whatever way seems good to you, Lord, through preaching, through music, through um, prayers, communion, just being together, Lord, even. We just ask that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, stand and sing. Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky. Heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. God of wonders beyond our galaxies. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of heaven and earth. Call your name by night. Ooh, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy. Lord of heaven and
declares your majesty you are holy holy God of wonders beyond our galaxy Mother 
is to come. The whole creation I sing, praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, I will adore you. Let's take a seat, we'll go straight into communion. to read you a little bit from Psalm 29. First two verses says this. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So it's that, that last line there. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Yeah, a little bit hard sometimes to know what that means exactly, but those two songs that we sang both talked about the holiness of God and declaring his holiness to him, as it were. And the second song, where we sing the three holies, you know that that comes from a few places in Scripture, but the one you probably remember, um, probably the Revelation one. But in Isaiah chapter 6, the same thing happens. He sees the same vision. And it's a vision of angels around the throne praising God and that's what they're singing. That's the song they're singing, holy, holy, holy. And you probably remember that when he sees that, the effect of that on him personally is that he pulls back. He goes, well, that, that's amazing, but I don't belong there. I can't go in there because I'm dirty. I'm a person of a man of unclean lips is, is, is what the text says. And although he's attracted to the holiness of God he feels like he doesn't belong and he has to pull back so the holiness of God has that that strange kind of double sensation for us on the one hand we look at God and think wow I really would like to know you I really would like to be close to you I would like you to be part of my life but at the same time we find ourselves holding back so when we break bread when we have communion together what we're doing, among other things, is that we're celebrating the fact that Jesus has made the way open for us to share in God's holiness. We can go in uh, because he's cleaned us up. So we can go in and be part of God's holiness and become holy ourselves. That's one of his gifts to us. So perhaps you could reflect on that as we break bread together this afternoon. Um, that Christ makes us holy and we can join in. We don't need to hold back. So don't hold back. Let's worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Thanks, guys. We could get going on that. We're still following um, COVID protocol here as per the diagram, so I know you're familiar with that now. The way we like to do things at Subi is if you can hold on to the uh, bread and the cup, and we like to take them together when everyone's been served, so I'll pray and you'll know when that's going to happen. If you're visiting today or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian at this point, then we just ask you to sit this part of, this, of the service out, but we're more than happy to explain why we take that so seriously afterwards if you'd like to do that. Otherwise, let's make a start. Can I ask the first five rows to get us going, please? Father, we just thank you for Jesus and for his sacrifice on our, on our behalves that you have 
made us holy as you are holy. Let's take the bread. And Lord, we thank you for the blood of Christ that makes us clean. We can join you as part of your family. Let's take the cup. Okay, let's stand and sing. This is a new song. We did sing it last week, but um, it's a new one. Good kind of action song.
Nothing can stand against the power of our God, an almighty fortress. You go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to belongs to you Amen Before you sit down please take uh, say hi to someone then take a seat from last year's from State Youth Games 2021 and this year 22 is back. My name is Toby if you met me before and I'm one of the coordinators for Team Subi this year. So what is State Youth Games? State Youth Games is the biggest event on the WA calendar for young adults. So this is where we go down roughly a thousand participants in WA go down to Bunbury for the weekend, in the June weekend and play sports together and these range from a whole bunch of different sports to netball, basketball, even to esports or even with tennis, chess, many more. So it's held on the June long weekend, so this is the 3rd to the 6th of June, and this can either be, you can do the full weekend, or if you can only do a couple of days, you can do a one day um, registration. So even though sport is the main attraction, State Youth Games is run for the fellowship and the young adults community. So they're able to spend time together and build lasting friendships within the young adults community and with the other young adults from other churches as well. This is a fantastic opportunity to meet new people and make new friends. So to get involved, there's two main ways to get involved. You can either register if you're in the ages from 16 to 30, come along and participate in the events, or if you're older than 30, you can also come down as a volunteer. If you are volunteering, it's all free or paid for, because these events cannot run without our volunteers. So registrations do end this coming Monday, so make sure you get your registers in before the deadline. So for the rest of the church, we ask that you pray for us for a safe and fun weekend, and for the rest of the young adults community at Subi Church, that we've grown in unity, and continue to encourage one another as we seek the Lord and as we seek and serve the Lord. 
If you'd like more information, come and talk to me in the foyer after the service. Thank you. Thank you, Toby. Thank you for, um, for letting us know about State Youth Games. It is a very important part of the Young Adults Ministry, so let me encourage you, if you are a young adult, you know, please consider making your time to um, SYG because part of that is you know, build, we want to foster and build those relationships amongst the young adults, and then through, the, through those relationships, we can share the love and the joy and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, let me encourage you to think about that if you are a young adult, if you can make it to SYG. Now, hopefully you can see behind me, it is Mother's Day weekend, so I hope you remember that. And one of the things that we want to do uh, this evening is to have a special time of prayer for mothers. So uh, please join me in prayer, and I will uh, pray for all our mothers this evening. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you, and we want to thank you for all the mothers here today. We thank you for all the hard work and effort each mother's put into caring, raising, nurturing, and loving their children. And we recognize that it can be tough for some mothers. But Father, we pray that you will help them, help them to see the importance of their role, the importance of raising up children in your ways, and more importantly, raising up children who would know and love Jesus. Help them to see and realize that it is a noble and God-honoring role, especially in the midst of busyness, in the midst of what may seem to be mundane task every day in raising up the next generation who will know and love Jesus. We pray that they will feel your joy and your delight in them. And Father, we pray for mothers here who may have come with a heavy heart, with a concern, with whatever issues that they may have with, for their children. We pray for comfort, we pray for peace, we pray for your love in their lives. Father, we know that you tell us to come to you with all our burdens, so we do come to you as your children this evening. And we ask that you comfort these mothers, assuring them that you are their rock, their shield, and their fortress. And we also pray that these mothers would know and come to recognize that you are that same rock, that same shield, and same fortress for their children. And be comforted by the fact that their children are also under your care and your protection. And Father, we pray for everyone here who may not have the best relationships with their mothers. We do pray sincerely that on this day they will look to you all the more to find their anchor and their identity in Jesus Christ as your child. We pray that they will find strength, encouragement, and support from you and your promises in your word. Father, we pray for those who long to be mothers today. We pray that you are able to satisfy the longings of their hearts in conceiving and bringing a child into this world. But Father, we acknowledge that you know best. And we pray that whatever happens, that you will continually remind them that they have you as a perfect, loving Father in heaven. One who loves them, one who has given your Son for them. And Father, we pray for those who may have recently lost their mothers. And we also pray for those mothers who may have recently lost their child. We pray that at this time you will be especially sweet to them. And that you will make your presence felt all the more in their lives. Father, we ask that you send support and love to them in this time of need. Help them to grieve 
as people with a great hope in Jesus who has secured and purchased salvation for us. Help them to know this hope, this love, to embrace this hope, to cling to Jesus all the more. Father, we pray that you help them to experience that sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit as he comforts them. So Father, we thank you for the gift of mothers this evening. We thank you for all the blessings that come with it. And we pray that each one of them be blessed this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we send the children off, one of the things that we do as a church, hopefully you know we do this every single week, is that we memorize scripture together. It is a new month, so we are going to have a new Bible passage verse for this month. It is uh, not as tricky as Isaiah chapter 53 verse 11. This month we are looking at the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. So I think you should be able to see that verse behind me. There you go, Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. This is part of a fantastic hymn of Christ about Jesus, about Him coming, becoming as a human being, and then being raised up, exalted as King over everything in creation. So uh, this month we are memorizing verse 8 talking about how Jesus has come and humbled himself as man. So, let's do this together. So, we'll say the Bible passage, chapter this, verse that, and then we'll say the, um, uh, the verse together. So, are we ready? Okay, let's do this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Fantastic. It is a fantastic passage talking about the humility of Jesus coming, becoming a man and dying on the cross for our sins. So once again, let me encourage you to do this as a family, to memorize this even with your housemates, with friends, because we want to have God's word in our hearts so that we always remember the gospel and remember the promises of Jesus. Okay, now... This is a time of the service where we invite our primary school age children to head up to their Subi Kids classes upstairs. Uh, if you are here this evening, you are brand new. Uh, part of what we have is that we do have classes for kids to, for them to learn more about Jesus in an age-appropriate format. So uh, feel free to head upstairs, have a look, chat with the teachers, register your ch child, and then you can come and join us. Now on your seat, there should be a connect card that looks something like this, or you see a QR code in front of you that's uh, something that you can scan with your mobile phone uh, and it will link you to the online connect card. This is something that we want to encourage everyone to fill out. Yes, everyone, including those of you who have been here for 20 years. This is a way that we know that you're here and a way that we know how to pray for you and we know how to support you and get you connected to the church. Um, so there are places where you can write on your prayer request or if you're interested in joining a small group or finding more about the ministries of the church. So even if you have nothing you want to you know, find out more or you have no prayer request, that's fine. Just submit one uh, so, that, so that we know that you're here this evening. So let me encourage you to do that um, between now and the end of the service. And one of the things that uh, we also encourage uh, those of us who are here in Subi Church is to take up offering. So uh, offering is normally done uh, online for us now. So there is a green sheet that looks like this in a cubby hole that gives you instructions on how you can do that. Uh, part of what, why we want to do this is that we recognize, once again, the, this wonderful generosity and blessing of Jesus, blessing of God that he has given us. And one of the things that we want to be a people of is a people 
of generosity, a people who are grateful for what God has done. And part of how we can do that is through our giving. So let me encourage you to think about that if you haven't already set up an online giving. If you prefer to give physically, you can. So there are envelopes in the cubbyhole. You can pick up, put your offering in there, and there's a box there that you can put the envelope in. Now, two very quick announcements of what's coming up. First is Young Adults Lunch, Sunday the 15th of May. That's after the second service or on Sunday, after the 1045 service. So all the young adults, you are invited to come for this lunch next Sunday. Uh, depending on the weather, the venue is to be confirmed. So keep an eye out and hear out next week as they confirm the venue. Uh, part of what we want, again, is to build those relationships amongst the young adults uh, and uh, from there, encourage one another in and through the gospel. Um, if it's nice and sunny, apparently they're going to the theater gardens up the road. It is going to be fantastic uh, if you can join us. So that's the Young Adults Lunch next Sunday after the 1045 service. We also have the Hour of Prayer that's coming up. That's May 18th on a Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, this is going to be in the church cafe. And for those of us uh, who can't make it, you can join us via Zoom as well. So one of the things that we want to pray for, as you know, election is coming up. We do want to pray for that. And there are many things around our world we want to pray for and also pray for the church. So uh, let me invite you again, once again, if you can make it, please come. Always fantastic to pray. Always encouraging to pray with one another for and intercede to God for the things of the world. That's all the announcements I have for this evening. Uh, we do have a very special guest this evening to preach to us from God's Word. We do have Jordan preaching to us. Now, if you don't know who Jordan is, he's usually in, uh, in serving in a youth ministry. He is our youth minister at Subi Church, and we are very, very blessed to have him. He is a, a man of great integrity, and I look forward to hear, hearing from him. Uh, he just uh, um, continues his studies through Trinity, and one of the ways that we want to encourage is to... Uh, hear from him and we we want to hear what god is doing in and through his life so um tonight we will be hearing from jordan for this weekend before he does that let me invite ella up for the bible reading good evening church the bible reading for this weekend is from luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10. jesus entered jericho and was passing through a man was there by the name of zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks, Ella. What a great saviour it is that we worship that Jesus would come to seek and save the lost. Think on that, that we worship a saviour who seeks out those who otherwise have no hope. And that is us. And that is why we can sing with the words of amazing grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
was blind, but now I see. Let us pray. Father God, we pray. Father God, we pray that as we open up your word today, that we hear you speaking to us, and that your word would take effect on our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Christ, that we might set aside all vanity and sit humbly under your word, meeting you, experiencing you, and seeing you where you promise to be present in the preaching of your gospel. Holy Spirit, reveal to us on this day who we are in light of Christ. Help us to see truly the glory of the cross and the splendor of our Saviour. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan, and I'm the youth pastor here at Subi. It is a great joy to be up here this morning uh, to be able to preach to you. This is my first sermon, my first weekend preaching at Subi, and so I'm not going to lie, I'm very, very nervous, but I think that's because every week we have such wonderful sermons. We have such wonderful pastors here who preach and expound God's word clearly and faithfully. And so there's big shoes to fill, and so my prayer on this day is that I will do the same as that, that I will preach clearly and faithfully. I'm going to ask you all now to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Our reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You may be seated. Today I would like us to consider three things from this parable. First of all, the two men, who were they and what and, and what is it about them? What do their prayers reflect? Their two prayers, and finally, their two results. And so the two men, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. You see, the parable revolves around these two figures. But in the 21st century, our only experience of these groups of men is looking back and seeing their interactions with Jesus as we read about them in the Scriptures. And in that sense, we see the Pharisees in a rather negative light. They're always the ones that are clashing with Jesus. They're always part of the main opposition against Jesus. And so that is the way that we see them. In a similar manner, we see the tax collectors in a rather positive light because of Jesus' interactions with them. We're actually looking at two of those interactions tonight. And so we kind of go, okay, well, the Pharisees, they're, they're bad guys. You know. The tax collectors, well, you know, yeah, they've got to do their job sort of thing. But the question that we need to ask of the parable is who were they to the people of their day, to the hearers of this parable? You see, it's important for us to ask this question because parables are normally shocking. According to the Old Testament, parables are actually a sign of judgment. They're there to, they're there to harden hearts, but they're also there to draw people in who have ears to hear. 
and they start off with something and then Jesus will twist it around and he'll aim it at the heart and that is what the parables are meant to do. But what is shocking about this parable? Is it two bad guys go up to the temple to pray or is there something else happening? So let us consider who these men were. The Pharisees. Josephus, the Jewish historian in his antiquities, says this. The Pharisees are, as a matter of fact, extremely influential among the lay people. And all prayers and sacred rites are performed according to their exposition. This is the great tribute, that the inhabitants of the cities, by practicing the highest ideals, both in their way of living and in their discourse, have paid to the excellence of the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were the most influential, they were the most popular leaders amongst the Jewish people. The term Pharisee means separated one, and in a real way, they set themselves apart as the moral example for the people. They set themselves apart unto God. You see, they weren't driven by politics. They weren't about sucking up to the ruling class. They were passionate about maintaining their identity as God's people in the midst of an ever-increasingly popular Greco-Roman culture. They said, no, we must not give in to the shifting sands of the culture. We must stand on the law of God. With one scholar saying if the Pharisees had a slogan, it would be the whole life governed by the law of God. The whole life governed by the law of God. For many, the Pharisees were the guardians of the faith. They were the purest form of Israel. They were the champions of Judaism. What is the point? Well, the point is that when Jesus presents a Pharisee in this parable, he is presenting a champion of the people, a disciplined man a devout man, a respected man. And so what about the tax collectors? At the time that Jesus told this parable, the Jews were under Roman occupation. That meant that they needed to, be tax- they needed to pay taxes to Rome. And the way that the Romans would do this was they would run a census over the land, they would get an idea of the population and the worth and the land and the produce. And they would, and they would, break, they would break the land into, into pockets and they would franchise it out. They'd say, this land is worth this much to us. And they would auction it off. And the highest bidder, usually a Roman citizen, would bid on the land. And then whoever won that bid would then have the right to tax that land. They would then recruit local people underneath them, a chief tax collector and then other tax collectors who would be responsible for drawing the money out of the people, extracting the money from the people. This meant that tax collectors, if anything, were a constant reminder of foreign oppression. That is what they were. They were close with the Gentiles, which meant they were unclean. They, worked for, they were public violators of the law, which was the exact opposite to the Pharisees. And I think it's hard to capture in words the collective despise of the people towards the tax collectors. And I was trying to think of a modern-day example, and one, that, one of the only ones that I could think of was, we all know what is happening in Ukraine. Now let us imagine for a moment that Russia were to eventually occupy Ukraine and then recruit Ukrainian people, offering them huge financial incentives then to go in and tax their own people, to draw money out of their own people, to line their pockets, the pockets of their other Russians and of the Russian oligarchy. Now can you imagine the hatred towards these other Ukrainians? Can you imagine the despise? Well, that, my friend, is a tax collector. That's him right there. Which man gets to heaven? Which man goes home justified? Which one are you? That's the question that we need to ask of the parable. You see, the parable is not heard as a hypocrite, a Pharisee, and a thief 
tax collector went up to the temple to pray. The, f- the parable is heard as a champion and a nothing, a champion and a nobody, a champion and a traitor went up to the temple to pray. Let us consider their prayers. Two prayers. The prayer of the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Now notice something. Notice that both these men set themselves apart. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself, and for the tax collector, it says that he stood at a distance. And I think we'll understand why as we examine their prayers. You see, the Pharisee, he's happy to throw God a line. I thank you, God. That's a good start to prayer. Right? I thank you, God. He is sincere. If it weren't for you, God, I couldn't have done it. But what is God's role in his achievement? What is God's part in his claim to righteousness? You see, God is merely the enabler. God is merely the enabler. We can tell this just by considering the personal pronouns of his prayer. Five times he says, I, 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 I. That's a lot of eyes. That's a lot of eyes. And so you see the real subject of this prayer is himself. I thank you, God, as he stands apart from others. I thank you, God, as he stands apart, that I am not like others, that I'm not like them, and especially not like him. Over there, that tax collector. But is this how our righteousness works with God? Does he merely enable us to live a life where we obey the law and then we stand before him as righteous so that one day we can stand before God and say, God, I thank you for what you've done for me. Look at at my life. It's righteous. Look at what I've done. I stand here clothed in my own righteousness. Is this what God does for us? You see, the problem for the Pharisee is not that he is ungrateful. It is not that he is insincere. It is not that he hasn't worked hard, but that he believes that he is righteous in the sight of God because of what he has accomplished. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. He not only does what the law commands, but he goes over and above. You see, he wants a safeguard. He doesn't want to scrape it thin. He wants to know that he is righteous. The law doesn't require him to fast twice a week. The law doesn't require him to give a tenth of all that he gets. He's going over and above, only a tenth of some things. You see, he not only, and you see, he not only does what it requires, but he's set on being righteous in the sight of God. But what is the biggest problem? What is his biggest problem? His biggest problem is this, that he has left nothing to the mercy of God. He has left nothing to the mercy of God. He has left no room for grace. Remember that they're in the temple. They're in the place that represents the presence of God. They're looking at the altar. And they're reminded by the daily sacrifices on that altar, by the constant sacrifices on that altar, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin. And then he looks at that and he has no room for mercy. No room for grace. He has failed to count the cost of his sin because he is doing the works of the law. He's too, busy, he's too busy comparing himself to other people that he fails to examine the condition of his heart. And if he would, he would see that it was riddled with sin. Are you failing to examine the condition of your heart? Are you busy looking at your accomplishments and comparing yourself to others 
that you forget who you are when you come before a holy God. Now, there's a sneaky trap here in the parable, and I don't want us to miss it. The Pharisee inside of all of us looks at the Pharisee and might go, I thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I never pray like that. I never do this. I never do that. I don't do this. I don't do that. And at that very moment, are we not doing the same thing that the Pharisee is doing, comparing ourselves to other people? There's something else that's worth mentioning, and I think, I think it captures it well. There's, within Christian circles, there's a catchphrase, there's a saying, and it goes like this. There goes I, but for the grace of God. There goes I, but for the grace of God. Now, if we are looking at another person and saying, there goes I, but for the grace of God, are we not saying, I thank you, God, that I am not like other men? I thank you, God, that I am not like him. Now, if I'm looking at my own life, if I'm looking at my own life before Christ and I'm looking back and I say, there goes I, but for the grace of God, fine. But the moment that I look to another person and compare myself to them and say, there goes I, but for the grace of God, am I not making a judgment about that person standing before God? Am I not making a judgment about that person's heart? And that is the very thing that Jesus is confronting here. Let us consider the prayer of the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just like the Pharisee, he sets himself apart. He stood at a distance, not because of self-righteousness, but the very opposite, because of a great sense of unworthiness. Here is humility on display, according to Jesus. Here is a man aware of his sin under God. And the irony is the very things the Pharisee said about him are likely the things that he thinks about himself. He comes in, I am a thief. I am an evildoer. I have betrayed my own people. And he looks to God and he sees who he is. He would not even look up to heaven, which was common in prayer. It was common to say, Father, it was common to look up and say, God. He would not even look up to heaven, but he bowed his head in submission, shame and unworthiness and beating his breast, only done in the most severe emotional circumstances, he said, God, have mercy on me. Now, this is a pretty incredible parable. I'd say it's almost like a gold nugget of parables, and that is because of something that we're going to look at here. You see, it's here that our English translations, in some sense, let us down, in my opinion, because the word for mercy here is not actually the common word used for mercy. This is actually quite a rare word, and the word means to propitiate. What does this word mean, to propitiate? It means to quench the wrath of God. It means to pay the price demanded by God's justice as the result of our sin. That's what the word propitiate actually means. Propitiation is what it means for God to be both merciful and just. And so what the tax collector is saying is, I cast myself on you that you might pay the price of my sin, that you might satisfy your wrath as a holy God that stands over me, a sinful man. And so he looks down and he beats his breast, beats his breast and with a heart's cry he said, Lord, be propitious to me, a sinner. You see, not only has he left room for mercy, all he has is mercy. All he has is God. All he has is an empty-handed prayer, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Who are you? 
When you pray, do you come empty-handed? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. This is the beginning of prayer. This is the starting point for the Christian before God. And I think the great reformer John Calvin actually captures this beautifully when he says this. The person who comes into the presence of God must rid themselves of all vain, glorious thoughts, lay aside all idea of worth, in short, discard all self-confidence, humbly giving God the whole glory, lest by claiming anything, however little for themselves, vain pride cause God to turn away his face. You see, we pray not to present ourselves before God for our righteousness' sake, but for God's great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, do not for my sake, but for, the, but, for the holy, but for your holy name. And so what are the results of these men's prayers? Verse 14 says this. Jesus says this. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here is the twist. Here is the shock of the parable. What? A tax collector? But how? Jesus tells us, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But notice this. That day that man cast himself on the mercies of God, and that day, that hour, that moment, he was justified before God. But hey, this is just a parable. It's a great lesson, but did it ever really happen? That's the question. So we look at it and we go, great, I know what humility is, but did it happen? Well, Luke doesn't leave us hanging. 27 verses later in the book of Luke. And within a week of Jesus telling this parable, Jesus is about to enter the city of Jericho. And the, and the great Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, he points out that parables being short, shocking stories that the word would have gotten out. And as it spread around, it almost certainly would have fallen on the ears of a particular chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. Did you hear what Jesus said? A tax collector left the temple justified and a Pharisee didn't. What? Did you hear that? Did you? What? Did you? You must have it wrong. And then imagine Zacchaeus saying to his wife or his family or his servants, I must go and see him. I must go and see the man that says that I can be justified before God. Me, a chief tax collector. And so he goes and just to get a glimpse of Christ, he climbs the tree. And Jesus looks up and instead of seeing just a tax collector like everybody else, Jesus sees a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And he says, I have come to seek and save the lost. Now, the difference between a Pharisee and a tax collector in this instance is that the Pharisee thought that he was found. He thought that he was on the right track, gaining a righteousness of his own and comparing himself to others, but he was actually lost. Whereas a tax collector knows just how lost he was and cast himself on the mercies of God. And just as it was for the tax collector in the parable, so it was for Zacchaeus. Friends, if we could be justified on our own, then there would be no need for Christ. This is what the Pharisee thought, but the humble know the extent of their sin. And I'm here to tell you that if you stand at the end of time before God on your own righteousness, you will not enter the kingdom of God. 
If God says to you, why should, I let to he- why should I let you into heaven? And you say, God, thanks to you I am great. Thanks to you I have been able to earn a righteousness of my own. Then you will not enter the kingdom of God. What do we get when we cast ourselves on the mercies of God in empty-handed repentance and faith? We get Christ. And in Christ we get all things. Because Christ is a sufficient saviour. Any person that thinks that they can add to the righteousness of Christ is just a fool. That's all they are. Now, I want to add in a bit of a disclaimer here. I think the parable presents us with this idea, it possibly presents us with this idea that God doesn't care about the way that you live your life, but he does. And we see that with Zacchaeus when he repents of his sin, when he trusts in Jesus, we see a change in his life. He says, Lord, if I've wronged anyone, I'll pay back double. And so God does. But the way that we live are not the grounds for our salvation. They're not the grounds of our justification. They're not the grounds of our righteousness. They're the result of it. You see, we serve because he first served us. And in some sense for us as a Christian, we are deemed holy in Christ through faith. And then the rest of our Christian life is laying hold of what we already possess. It's possessing our possessions. You see, we can get so caught up with comparing ourselves to others that we forget to consider the cost of our sin and cast ourselves on the mercy of God. But who are we in Christ? Who are we in Christ? Let us not forget something. Let us not forget that sin came through one man and death through sin. That it was one sin, one sin before a holy God that sent all of creation into groaning and decay and death. It was one sin before a holy God that rendered all of humanity guilty under God. One sin. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this side of heaven, I'm not going to be able to go any substantial period of time. If I'm serious with the motivations of my heart, if if I'm honest with myself, I'm not going to be able to go any substantial period of time without sinning. But is there a heart cry in you, is there a heart cry in me that says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? Look to God and believe in Christ. Cast yourself on him. He is a sufficient saviour. Now, some of you here today, you might go, well, how did I get here? Why am I at Subi Church? And I would say that it's, it's uh, not a coincidence, that there's a reason God wants you to be here. And let me tell you that while I've been speaking, God has been doing his work on some of you, and then for some of you, you will be hearing God's word to you. It'll be drawing on your heart. And you'll be feeling the heart cry just with the tax collector saying, I am a sinner and I need God to be merciful to me. I'm telling you, look to what God has offered us in Christ. Let me tell you that today, if you believe, today, tonight, if you believe and you cast yourself on the mercies of God tonight, if you trust in Christ tonight, you will leave this church here, now, justified under God. You see, what we see in these men is not merely a profession of faith, What we need is not merely a profession of faith, but also the possession of faith, right? And I think that's something which is unfortunate in, in 21st century Christianity. They pray a sinner's prayer as if it were a magic formula, as if it were a spell. But remember that it's if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's a profession of faith, and then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's a possession of faith. You have to believe it. You see, when the, phar- when the tax collector cast himself on the mercies of God, he believed it. And so that is what is required of us, to believe in God, to trust in him, to possess faith. 
Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. Jesus is the way that God can be merciful and just. Jesus died the death that you deserve, that you deserve to die, that you might have his life and life in him. The question for us to answer this today is, are you the Pharisee or the tax collector? Let us pray. Father God, you are a great God. You are so merciful to us, Lord, that although you are holy through Christ, we might come into your presence. We might be forgiven. We might be deemed as justified, as righteous. Everything that you've done points to the fact that you were going to send a saviour and that he was going to be our all in all, our great high priest, our good shepherd, Lord. And so we pray that each day when we pray, we might realise who we are before you, a holy God, that we might present ourselves and always cast ourselves on your mercies, on your goodness, on your grace, that we might come to you always, Lord, in humility and faith, just as the tax collector. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Get you to stand. This, um, this last song could be sung as a prayer. If that's helpful for you, then feel free to do it that way. Clean hands, 
give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift. Let us leave here tonight with these words from the book of Hebrews. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Mother's Day weekend, everyone.